Okay, I'm recording. So, August the 27th, 2023, we are in the last lesson on Colossians, so it'll be lesson uh, 14, and we're going to review the book real quickly, but we're going to look at the book a little different than what we have been looking at, because I've really been focusing on, you know, uh, the good things of the book. And what it's teaching us on in the good way. And that's how I like to look at the Bible. I always like to see what is the truth in the Bible, how does it apply in my life, and how can I live it out. And Colossians is perfect in doing that. Because chapter 1 and 2, it gives us teaching. And then chapters 3 and 4, it says how to live it out. So I'm like, this book is basically written for me. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn over to Romans chapter uh, 15 and verse 4. And I want to bounce off of this this morning. And let's see, ladies, I think I do have a handout for you all. Because I'm, I'm sure you just want to fill these out. And, okay, go that way. But it will help you follow along with what we're doing. So Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I know you guys go, well, Bob, you you have a new one all the time. Well, this is one I've really liked down through my life. And it says, uh, for whatsoever things were written aforetime. Now, what things are written aforetime for us? The Old Testament, but even more than that for us, the New Testament. But basically, he's he's writing this, and he's using the Old Testament. But for us, living in the church age, 2,000 years after the book of Romans, it's written, it, the New Testament fits in. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our, what? Our learning that we, through com- through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So, it, it defines what whatever things are written in Scripture, it says. And there's three things there that says the Bible is written for. What's the first one for? Learning. Learning. Okay. So the Bible's for our learning. And then the second thing is what? Comfort. Patience. Patience. Okay. And then the last one's what? Comfort. Comfort. Okay. So I need to give you a handout, don't I, Rex? No, I don't have pictures on this one. So there you go. Thank you. And so... I've looked at this verse when I was a young Christian and I really was focused on the learning part. But you know what? The older I get, the more I realize these other two things are very important. The Bible gives me patience. And the Bible also gives me comfort. And so you need all three. And so why do you need it? Because you need the patience in your life. You need the comfort in your life. It's like when you're going through trials and, and, and tribulations in your life, what, what, what's, what's holding you up? What's keeping you going? It needs to be God's Word. It needs to be His promises. 
You know, I'm standing on the promises of God, right? That's what we should be doing. That's what the song says. And so the Bible's for our learning, but it also gives us patience and it gives us comfort and it gives us when, when, when things look really black in our lives and everything else is falling apart, the Word of God is, and the promises He's given us are still there. Okay? Does that make sense? And so, um, I just wanted to throw that out there because I've kind of been looking at Colossians as what can I get from it on a good perspective and that's kind of the learning part but I'm going to, I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit in Colossians and talk a little bit about the things that Paul says we need to watch out for. I've focused on the good things that this is what God says but he also says there's some things you got to beware of or watch out for. And so that's what I want to look at today in, in a few minutes. So go ahead and turn over in your Bible now to Second Timothy, chapter three. And again, this is not our main topic today, but this I'm trying to make one more point here before I move on. Second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen. And so. Uh, I think I've got two copies of this. I gave everybody a copy of, of a chart at the beginning of our class. And so, do you guys remember me giving you the chart? Did you guys get this? Okay. So, I know I've got... I'll let you guys share them. Okay. So, in this chart, and actually, I I put together what goes in the chart. And I had to have my... Uh, techie person put it all together for me. But uh, in that chart, it talks about the books that Paul writes, okay? In fact, let me let me have one of those back. I'm going to take yours back because I want to read it here at the bottom. So in this chart that I gave the rest of you, you should have this one, okay? And if not, come, I'll get you one. It starts off with Romans and goes to Second Thessalonians. So these are the church epistles, the church letters that Paul wrote, Okay, he also wrote Hebrews, but these are the church epistles. And it talks about what it teaches, the problems in the church, the degree of urgency, it, where it was written from, the date written, the major theme, and the time period of what, where was Paul at in his journey? Was he on his first missionary trip, second missionary trip, in Rome, in jail, whatever? And in general, it says here, the order of the books placed in the Bible by the Holy Spirit shows the order on teaching these books to the new believer. So the first section, the major theme is Christ and His resurrection. And then it switches to Christ and His church. And then it changes to Christ and His coming. So you can kind of see a pattern there. But you can also see a pattern on the problems that uh, take place. And you see Romans starts off with teaching doctrine. Then it go, the next book comes up with teaching reproof. That reproof is when we mess up. It shows you. Okay, so here's what to do. And then the next book is, here's what you didn't do right. So here's what you did wrong. And then the next book is correction. How to fix what you did wrong. So the, the books that Paul wrote are kind of written in that order. Romans teaches doctrine. First and second Corinthians, which we know those, that church at Corinth was in a mess. So he had to fix the problems. He had to show them what they did wrong. Galatians fixes the problems. Ephesians goes back and it's teaching doctrine again. And then and then Philippians teaches reproof. And when you get to Colossians, it teaches correction. And so we haven't looked at anything in the book of Colossians. It says 
correction, but we're going to today. And then First and Second Thessalonians kind of goes back to doctrine. So you can't, you know, this is not something set in stone, but when you start studying these books out, you see patterns going on in the book. And you see the pattern kind of follow along with, with Second Timothy 3.16 and 17, which says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And we know that word perfect means complete. So God has put the Bible together to give us teaching, to show us when we do wrong, and then to show us how to correct that wrong. And we see that when we get to Colossians, that it starts to teach us something wrong that's in the church. So we have to think about, okay, what was wrong in the Colossian church and what have we not really looked at yet? And so uh, now we're up to speed. So Colossians has four chapters, 95 verses, 179 or 1979 words. It's written between 61 and 63 A.D. while Paul was in jail at Rome. And for you deep Bible scholars in here, Paul was in jail in Rome more than once. Boy, that'll that'll make you. Has any of you have any of you heard that before? When we put everything together with everything he says, that's what it leads to, that he's actually was in jail more than once. But a lot of times, uh, nobody knows that. You know, they're like, well, he was in jail, but if you really study the facts and go, well, how could he have done this and done that? If it, and there seems to be a gap between them. So if you really want, if you want something deep to study, go back and look through his books and kind of see if you can pinpoint where he's at. And at different times he was in jail. But he was in jail twice at Rome, we believe. Key verse is 128. So let's go there and look at that. Colossians 128. And it says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So the whole purpose of the book is to, is to be able to present the Christian complete. In Christ. So Paul says he had never, he met some of the people from the church at Colossae, but he hadn't met the church as a whole. And he goes, my prayer for you guys is that you are a complete Christian. You've got everything that you need. That is my goal. And that's basically what, what he talks about in the book of Colossians. And so, uh, chapters one and two are doctrinal. That's on your handout. And they show us who Christ is. You want to know who Christ is? You can go to a few books in the Bible. Go go back to uh, uh, Matthew chapter one. Go back to Luke. Go back to, and they start laying out who Jesus is. But you can also go to Colossians because Colossians tells us that Jesus is the Creator of all things. Okay. And so uh, it really lays it out. So uh, number one on your handout says it's going to talk about, we saw in Colossians, the you have a blank there. What goes in your blank is fullness. The fullness of Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? It's like, will the real Jesus Christ stand up? The book of Colossians really lays it out. It lays it out. And I'll just, let me, let's just read a little bit about that. Uh, 
Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. He starts talking about who his Son is, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So Christ created what? All things. Okay. Yeah, and and verse 17 says, And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So not only did He create things, He's keeping them going. That's why I laugh at these globalists. Oh, we're going to stop this, or, you know, they're, we're coming to a, to a, uh, it's, we're going to burn up. Everything's global warming. Now, I, I know I'm getting kind of old, but I remember when I was in high school, back in 78, 77, I, I liked science. Science is one of my things I like. And they were teaching us, we're going to an ice age. We're going to freeze. Well, you know, they don't call it global warming anymore. It's climate change. Climate change. Okay. And now, and now we're going to burn up. And I look at all that like, oh, we got to stop doing that or we'll run out of, we'll run out of food. We'll run out of energy. We'll run out of that. Well, in the seventies, they told us we were running out of gas and oil. I don't think we've ran out of it yet. They're a bunch of lies. So here's the deal. Or you watch some movie. It says, oh, we've got to... I watched this sci-fi movie a couple months ago. There I go again, watching movies. And I watched this movie, and it was as far... Well, the moon was... The moon was getting, it got pulled out of its orbit. It's getting too close to the earth. And so now we've got to destroy, we've got to push the moon back because it's going to run into the earth and destroy us. And I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, no, 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 no. My Bible tells me that Christ keeps everything going, not man. I mean, my gosh, man can't do anything right. Let's look at our government, right? And so, Man can't do anything, right? They can't, they certainly can't keep this, the moon in its place. Now, and right now I think they're trying to limit our oxygen and limit, here's the weird part. It's like, it's like, uh, we want everybody to go solar, but we're gonna limit how much sun comes through. I mean, it's the stupidest stuff. Man is so messed up, okay? Christ keeps everything going. So, okay, so. Number one, the fullness of Christ. And what does that mean? And we've already talked about it in our past, our past lessons. Number A, it says Christ according to people in the Bible. And I took you and I, I, I threw other people out in the Bible of what they said and who they said Christ was. We looked at that. We looked at Christ according to what the scripture says. We looked at Christ according to creation. And we saw that Christ is before all things, that Christ keeps all things going, that Christ is is the beginning. The Bible says He's the beginning and the and the end. It says Christ is the head of the church. Christ has redeemed us through His blood. Christ has reconciled us. He has given us peace. He has given us life and eternal life. Christ has given us incredible promises. Christ, again, is the head of the church. I put that in there twice, didn't I? And Christ is supreme over all heresy, and Christ has preeminence over all things. It's all Christ. All of it. 
And your next blank is all the fullness of God is in, what do you think? Christ. You gotta remember, Christ is, and we talked about this in Colossians, that when, when Jesus came and became a man, He was, He was God with, in, in the form of a man. He was God with flesh on. And so all the fullness of God, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, all that is in Christ. Okay? He is, it's, it's not like, I know there, the Bible talks about three, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and yet they're all connected. And one being. And, one being. and, and, and when they're separate, they're all still one. And it's like, how does that happen? I don't know. I can't explain it. You know, you have these people go, well, I won't believe the Bible till I can understand it. Well, guess what? You're not going to understand it. Mm-hmm. And if I have that person in my class, I would tell them, okay, can you explain to me how a black cow eats green grass and produces white milk? How does that happen? I don't know. Well, that just happens. No, explain it to me. <laughs> Are things we don't know. Okay? But yet, the Bible teaches us that all the fullness of the Godhead is in Christ. And we gotta remember that. Okay, number two. The fullness of the born again Christian is in Christ. Okay, that's not hard to believe. We saw that in chapters three and four. And we saw a, it says our sins have been paid for by Christ. We have been spiritually circumcised. We talked about that. We've been buried with Christ in baptism. We've been raised with Him at His resurrection. We have been quickened, made alive with Him. We have been given His Spirit and His Word. We have been given a commission. All the fullness of Christ is in us. Now, I don't know. I don't really say a lot of profound statements, but that these last two statements are profound. All the fullness of God is in Christ and all the fullness of Christ is in the Christian, the born-again Christian. Okay, We are complete. Complete goes in your next blank. We are complete in Christ. And I wrote it three times. We are complete in Christ. We are complete in Christ. We've got to get that in our head. Nothing else is to be added. Okay? This is not a recipe here. This is what God said. Nothing else is to be added. Nothing else is to be added. Nothing else is to be added. Okay. I'm, I'm throwing that out there because people get this idea as well. To be a Christian, I've got to accept Christ as my Savior, but I've got to do all these other things too. And so we want to look at that on the next page, number two. The Christian needs no other things to be complete in Christ. Okay? So we're going to go through some of these things that Paul said to be aware of. Okay? So, a says the Christian is not under the Old Testament law, are we? The, we don't do animal sacrifices because Christ was our sacrifice once and for all. Uh, no feast to be observed. No foods forbidden. Hallelujah. We can eat barbecue. There's, I'm going to get my barbecue sometime. I don't know when. Sometime. And uh, no going to the Jewish synagogue. We don't have to do that. And we all know that. B, says the Christian is not under traditions. Oh, now this is where it's tough, okay? Or ordinances from man. Now what's an ordinance? It's a law. It's a law made by man. It's a man-made law. So the charismatics say, 
I'm going to pick on a bunch of different groups here. The charismatics say, or some of them say, that you've got to speak in tongues to also have a relationship with Christ. Some Pentecostals say, oh, you got to handle snakes, brother. If you don't handle snakes, you're not spiritual. And I think Roger's the one. You had a grandmother that played with snakes? Did she do it or just go to a church that had snakes? Actually, my great-grandmother. Your great-grandmother. Died in 1970, and I never went to church with her. Oh, okay. But I, rem- I know that she did. Wow. <clears throat> I've seen, I've seen, I've seen these guys come in with the snakes. How did, how did she die? <laughs> okay. That wasn't by a snake bite, but, but I was, I was searching that out yesterday, and there's some, there was a big name guy just in the last few years, the preacher. He got bit by one of these snakes, and it killed him. And I'm like, dude, you guys are weird. The Bible does not say this. Okay? And so, uh, the Church of Christ says that you must get baptized in their church for salvation, not by faith, by baptism, and that you gotta be baptized by their minister. You can go right around the wall here to Angie Fleshman. She just, she came to the point at a outing, according to Steve, like a lock, I think they were having a lock-in for the kids with a couple different churches, and she wanted to, to, to accept Christ as her Savior. They called her pastor up in the middle of the night, rushed her back to her church to be baptized in her church by her pastor to make it legit. Ask her! <laughs> and I'm like, that's crazy. The, our Bible doesn't say that. It says you're, you're you're saved by faith, by accepting Jesus. You don't have to get baptized for salvation, and you don't have to do it in a certain church. And if you didn't do it in the church, Christ Church, well, I'm sorry, you guys just don't get to go to heaven. That's what they say. Well, that's that's man's tradition. That's our church's tradition. Then you got the Seventh Day Adventists that say you got to worship on Saturday. Where'd they get that at? You know, we don't have to worship on Sunday. The only reason we do, it's a pattern set up about by the first church. They met on Sunday. That's a tradition. We could say, hey, everybody, let's meet on Saturday, like these guys, or let's meet on Wednesday or Tuesday or any day, but we've kind of set Sunday apart, but that doesn't mean we have to. Okay? And then you've got the ultra-dispensationalist. Does any, has anybody ever heard of an ultra-dispensationalist? You guys have seen them. In this church, there was a man that used to come to this church, and he kind of tried to get buddy buddy with me a little bit uh, until I realized wh- who he wh- what he was trying to teach, and what ultra dispensationalists are, and they're teaching dispensationalism in HBI right now, I believe. Mm-hmm. We teach it sometimes on Wednesday night, and it's just basically there are seven dispensations in the Bible of of a, t- and I'll, I'll say this, it won't be quite accurate it'll be a, when how God deals with man during a certain time God deals with the church different than he did with Adam and Eve God deals with with the church different than he did the Old Testament or with Abraham and so the things that apply to the church are basically to the church okay so that's that's a dispensation but this guy this guy thought that we're not to be baptized at all he started chopping up the Bible too much. 
And he had some other issues, and I kind of kept him at arm's way. And in fact, when we were at Cleveland, uh, uh, Brian was talking to me with someone, but our pastor Brian and somebody else was talking to me, and they go, "Hey, so and so is wanting to come and visit." And Brian goes, "Now you know." I said, "Watch out for him. Beware of this guy because he's a he's an ultra dispensationalist." And I go, "Yeah, I already have him. I already have him figured out because he's just teaching things contrary to what the Bible says." Okay. And so, um, uh, some churches teach that you must wear certain clothes. And oh my goodness, the Baptists are bad about that. Oh, if you're not dressed that way, like today, I'm not very spiritual because I don't have on a suit and tie. Yeah, there's some of them that are like that. Some of them are like, I mean, they're whacked. But you know what? It doesn't say so in the Bible. Okay? Uh, the Calvinists claim that we don't, you don't have a free will. Okay, now I'm kind of dodging in between here a little bit with tradition and what they teach. So for a Calvinist, it's like, well, why should we go witness to the people in India or, or Africa or even the guy across the street? Because God chooses who he wants saved and who he doesn't. That's not what the Bible says, but that's what their church teaches. And, my wife's brother says, like, if God knows everything, why do we have to do anything? Or like, why would we... I can make a choice or whatever, you know, but you still have to make a choice. Right, because God gives us a choice to choose Him or not. And so, when, when everything's over with, when, when Revelation's done, the rapture's over, everything's happened, the millennium's gone, Christ will only have those people that chose Him there. And He gave everybody an option. Hey, you either choose life or death. What do you want to do? Same thing He told the Egyptians. Same thing he told the, the Israelites in the wilderness. Choose life or death. Which way you want to go? And it's weird because I think everybody would just normally pick life. And yet, they don't. You want to find out who you... You know what my wife and I have used for who, how, who to vote for down through the last 20, 30 years? Go on pro-life website and see who they endorse. Because if the politician is not going to hold up for a baby, unborn baby, what, what's he going to do for you? Nothing probably, and boy, it kind of it really picks out the two different groups, and I'm sure that's not everything, but it's just kind of a guideline. So it says here that the Catholic Church puts a big deal on traditions, and we're to, we're to we're not to be under traditions, right? They put it they put traditions even over the Bible. They put their pope over the over the Bible, and they pray to Mary, and they use sacraments. They got traditions going on all over the place. And that's just one, okay? Uh, all these churches do, okay? Some churches worship angels. Okay? And then, as well as, te- as teach self-mutilation to punish the body. And uh, we'll see that pop out in a minute, okay? And so, number C, let me keep going. The Christian is not under the law. He's not under traditions or ordinances from man. And C, the Christian is not under the, you got a blank there, the intellect. You know, I don't know how smart Brian is, and I'm thinking he's probably a pretty smart guy, but he's not the pastor of this church because his IQ is... What's a high IQ? 150. 150? Okay. You know, I I went to church once with a guy, and he made it known all the time that he was a somebody. Because he went to to what, what college, Kerry? Stanford. He was from Stanford. He went to he went to Stanford, and we're all sitting there like, "Well, whoop-de-do," you know. And uh, 
but the Christian is not under the intellect. You don't have to have the highest IQ to be to be the pastor or be a Christian. Okay, you don't have to go uh, to elite institutions to be a Christian or know the Bible. You got these guys walking around. They go, well, I've been to Liberty University or I went to Dallas Seminary. Or you might even say, hey, I'm a somebody because I went to HBI. Go outside and tell somebody else that. Go over to the jail and go, you know what? I'm a graduate of, of Heartland Baptist Fellowship Institute. And they're like, yeah, so what? <laughs> it's kind of like when you, we'd go to the jail and we would preach over there and we'd go, my pastor says this, and I told, I'd get the guy that would say that, would have a lot of people, new guys would come in, they'd say that. Well, our pastor today had a really good, he said this or he said that. And I go, okay, let me get something. Let me pull you over here. I, I know where you're at. But these guys, they don't give a flip what the pastor says. So you know what we need to do? Tell them what the Bible says. Because that's our authority, not our pastor. The Bible is. And so your IQ, your intellect, how well you speak, how great you look, all of that. I mean, I guess it's probably a plus, but since I've never had it, I'm not going to push it. But no, you don't have to be the, the smartest guy. Okay, D. The Christian is not under man's philosophy or religion or any combination of religious philosophies during the church age and actually probably either time. Philosophy is basically just what? Man's wisdom. Religion is man's tradition and any combination. So, the church at Colossae seems to have been infiltrated or swayed by Gnosticism. And we haven't talked about this. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, though. A Gnostic is defined as one having knowledge, but that knowledge comes from outside of God. It's not really good knowledge. Okay. The Gnostics were a set, a sect of philosophers formed in the year, early years of Christianity who believed that they were the only ones who had the true knowledge of Christianity. You gotta to come to us because number one, we're the only ones smart enough to understand it. But we'll try to explain it to you, but you'll have to try to keep up. That was their attitude. And we're like, yeah, right. Uh, their beliefs are a combination of Greek philosophy. Remember, I'm not going to get any knowledge from some dude by the name of Plato. Because it reminds me of Plato. But that's just me. Okay. Um, it's a combination of Greek philosophy and Oriental mysticism. So it was a weird cross between a Talmudical rabbi... It was, remember the, 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 uh, the Pharisees when Jesus walked on the earth, the Pharisees were all about tradition and all about the, the, all the laws that they added to the Old Testament. That's, a, that's the Talmud. So, uh, this, uh, Gnosticism was a cross between a tradition, traditional rabbi that's just hung up on what, what their tradition says and a Buddhist priest. And you go, wow, that's a weird combination. They taught that matter was evil. So in other words, this chair is evil. The clothes you're wearing is evil. Our skin is evil. Everything is evil because it's sinful. And uh, let me read here because I don't want to mess this up. They taught that matter was evil, so everything physical or created could not have come from God because God is good. But we know that physical stuff is evil. Okay? That's what they taught. And they believed that our world and the government of this world could not have come from God. 
And they believe that there was a group of spiritual beings between God and man that hijacked God's plans for the world. And they taught that you must obey their teachings, these these angelic beings' teachings, to really get close to God. Okay? So, hence, that's why you see a lot of groups worshiping angels and things and spirits and things like that. And even today, there are people that worship spirits and angels and things. Everything that I just read, we see in the book of Colossians, we see today. It's the same thing, okay? So, let's go to page three. So, Paul lays out their, you have a blank there, their ungodly traits in the book of Colossians. We just haven't seen it, okay? He tells them to beware of, And what does beware mean? It means to guard from, to watch out for, to restrain from. Because in chapter 2, and let me just read this, verse 8, he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So that word beware, I looked that up this week, and I found out that it's uh, in the Old Testament. It's used twelve times. The word "beware." In the New Testament, fifteen times. Christ spoke it ten times himself. Paul only uses it three times. And then when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about Paul using the word "beware," and I'm like, I don't remember him using this word much. And. Um, when I went to uh, Mexico, Oaxaca, a year or two ago, I was preaching on Colossians. I was teaching that the people there are so, so in tune, what do I, in tune's not the right word, so involved in, in um, superstition that I was trying to put a place out what the Bible says that we are to beware of these things. And so I'm up there using the word beware. I may have told you this before, and Joe Hendricksman is is sitting there, and he would pause about every time I would say beware. And I found out later that the word beware doesn't translate very good into Spanish. So he's translating away till I get to the word beware, and he would like, stop, like, how do I translate this? And so, uh, and I used it several times because I was trying to make a point. And I kept going, beware, beware, beware. And finally, at the end, he went, he asked his wife, like probably most of us guys would do, did I translate that correctly? <laughs> she goes, yeah, you did a really good job, honey. I was, I was shocked. But the word beware, Christ uses it ten times. Paul only uses it three. One of them is here when he says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. So number one on your handout on page three says, he tells them to beware of philosophy, which I just read in 2.8. So in other words, you are to watch out for man's philosophy. You are to restrain from it. You're, you're to guard from it. Do not allow this in. Okay. He tells them to beware of vain deceit. Now, what is vain deceit? I had to go look that up. It's empty deception or fraud. Well, that's pretty simple. Watch, beware of of this talk, beware of this fraud that they're trying to tell you. And he tells them to beware of traditions. And so I've already talked about some of the churches today that have hung up, hang up, hung ups on traditions. And he tells them to beware of the rudiments of the world, and that's the principles. Same verse 2.8. 
And he tells them not to be subject to ordinances. He goes, guys, you are not to be subject to ordinances. And so let's look at this. Chapter 2 and verse 20 says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? In other words, what in the world's wrong with you guys? Why are you still hung up on these? And then here's what he says that they're hung up on. Of this touch not, taste not, and handle not. You got these people going around and telling you these little traditions or these little laws you got to do. And he goes, don't get hung up on this. Verse 22 says, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. That's where they come from. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and the neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And so he talks about, okay, don't be subject to ordinances. Remember the early church was all hung up on what they could eat, what they couldn't eat. If it's, if it's, if it's meat that's been, uh, that's been given over to idols, we can't eat that. And Paul goes, hey, basically it's meat. Meat's meat, you know? Certain types of animals. Right. And so he says, you know, but there was people that was really, were, you know, man, I can't, I can't eat that meat. Or like you said, pork. Hey, coming from a Jewish background, I can't do that. And yet, Paul's saying, hey, these are things that God has given us. We don't need to be hung up on it. So he tells them not to be subject to these silly ordinances, basically. And he tells them not to be guiled into voluntary humility. And the worshiping of angels. Okay, so I get the worshiping of angels, but what in the world does he mean by not being beguiled? Beguiled means what, guys? Tricked into a voluntary humility. And so I had to kind of go back and look at that a little bit because I'm like, that's not words I use. Um, let's look at the verse. Chapter 2, 23. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom... And will worship? What in the world is that? And humility and the neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So he basically tells them not to be beguiled into a voluntary humility. That's where the fact where you get this attitude, well, since everything that is created and physical is bad, I've got to downgrade it in my life, including my body. So I've got to put myself down and treat myself bad because if I do, then I'm not godly. And so, it's it's uh, a contempt for the body. Yeah. Now, the they whip themselves. that's it. I mean, I'm not thrilled with my. I mean, again, I wish I was six foot four, had hair, broad shoulders, and all that. I'm not, but I'm not running around beating myself. And didn't remember uh, Martin Luther when when. Uh, uh, way back there, he was going up and down the steps at, at some, uh, I think he was in Rome actually, he was going up and down the steps of the, of the cathedral there for his penance. Why do they do that? Because he's, he's, he's beating his body in subjection because his body was evil. And after he did that and his knees were bloody and all that, he read the Bible and says, hey, you get to God not by penance. You get to God through faith. And he's like, well, forget that. I'm not doing that on my knees, beating myself, you know, bloody. But there are people that have that attitude. Well, you know, my flesh is evil. 
I have to whip it. I have to, I have to starve it. I have to do things to my flesh because this flesh is evil. That's what it talks about being, uh, being beguiled into a voluntary humility. You know, it kind of reminds me of monks. Monks live by themselves, you know, um, all different types of monks. I mean, you name it. Different religions have different monks. They live by themselves. They just, they kind of treat them, their body bad because that's what they need to do because they're trying to be godly. We can't beat ourselves to be godly, okay? But that's what these people were doing and it went right along with the worshiping of angels. Now, how does that fit? It fits that philosophy that everything is bad and that you, you know, our bodies are bad, everything else is bad, and yet to get to God, we've got to go back and worship these, these spiritual beings so we can get to God. And so that's where you see people today, they beat their bodies. They, they, they do all kinds of weird things. They fast. They do, I mean, fast, I never have quite figured the fasting out. But if you're fasting because you're trying to, uh, punish your body, that's not the right way to do it. And yet they worship angels and spirits because that's their connection to get to God. Where'd that come from? The boot, the, this spiritualism, Buddhism, Gnosticism, and we still see it today. People worship angels and spirits because they think that is the go-between and yet the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2.5 what? There is one mediator between God and man and that is Christ Jesus. And plus Satan and his third of angels were angels. Right. So the Bible tells us we are not to worship angels. We are not to beat our physical flesh down to be right with God. And yet, so you see all these in the book of Colossians I haven't really pulled out yet. And so I just wanted to throw those out because that would, our, our study here would be incomplete if I didn't throw them out. And basically, but, uh, he tells, he, Paul tells the church, beware of this. Don't let this get into the church. You guys don't need this stuff because why? Because it will take you away from Christ. The simplicity that is in Christ, okay? All of these are from man, not God. They will take you away from Christ. All of these add to God's Word, His instruction, to the born-again Christian. God tells us in His book that we're not to add or take away, right? Where would we find that in the Bible? Okay, let's go there. Good place. You're you're thinking, well, Rex. So, we're at Revelation. Okay. Let's go to 18 and 19. The very last chapter in Revelation says... Uh, let's see what, that's 22. Verse 18 says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add to these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, now the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So we are warned not to add to God's word. We're warned not to take away from, from God's word. So you go, okay, so that's Old Testament. I mean, New Testament. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2. So in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2. And we'll see what it says at the very beginning of the Bible. Mm -hmm. 
And actually, this is this is kind of a uh, speech that that Moses is given to uh, the people that went through the the wilderness with him. And let's just read a little. This start in verse one. We'll read a little bit about it. And he's getting them pumped up to get into the promised land. And he says, verse one. He says, now therefore, O Israel, unto the statutes and to the judgments which I teach you. Again, Moses is talking, for to do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. And so let's keep going. He goes, your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor and for all the men that followed Baal Peor. The Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you, but ye did, but ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me that you should go, that you should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations which shall hear of all the statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God in all things that we call upon him for? So you could keep going with that. So Old Testament, New Testament, we're not to add to God's word. We're not to take away from God's Word. And as we saw in Deuteronomy, he says, you want to have life? Obey what God says. Okay? And we know that to be true. So, all of these things... Let me see where I'm at. All of these add to God... All of these traditions, all of these things add to God's Word and, and we're not supposed to. Because Christ is sufficient. His Word is sufficient. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us His Word and He's given us the church so we can live our lives for Christ. And I kind of almost didn't want to put church in there. But He did. As long as that church is following the book, things are well. But when that church starts putting their own traditions and their own words and their own rules, then what do we need to do? Stick with the book, right? And so... uh, I just wanted to throw that out to you guys. So we've got some good teachings in the book, things we need to know about Christ, things we need to know about us because we're in Christ, but there's also some things we need to be aware of. There's also some things we are to watch out for because we don't want these guys to pull us away from Christ. So this guy that was in our church here a couple of years ago, he was just a guy that came in and started visiting. And, and what, what was his end goal? Probably to pull people away. Go, you know, you really don't need to follow the church. They're wrong with that. That's not right. This is the right way. Well, he never got there because we wouldn't let him. <laughs> but, I mean, he came and hung out with us for a while, but, but, uh, and you know, the bad, the sad part is the guy's not around now. I mean, he's not, he's not on this earth now. He died. And I'm like, and I've seen that over, over, over my life. You mess with God's church or you mess with His word, He may take you out. You mess with his children. Yes. That's true. And I, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen to people in other churches. I've seen it happen to people even in this church. And more than one. That when they cause problems and they don't want to fix it, 
um, the Lord can take them home. So it's it's very serious to God. So the book of Colossians, hopefully you guys have picked up some things in it. I like teaching it. It's one of my favorite books. And I put a list or down here at the bottom. List some things that you've learned in this study. So maybe that's something you can do at home. Take, take the paper home with you. Uh, go back through some of your notes. What have you learned in the book of Colossians? And the, the thing I really want to stress is there's a really good prayer for the Christian in, or for another Christian in this book that they would be filled with God's knowledge. They'd live it out in their life. And at the judgment seat of Christ, that they will be the complete person that God wants them to be. That we can use. Say you say you uh, you know of a new Christian and you want to pray for him. That's a good prayer for him. God, I pray that guy learns your word. I pray that he learns it, and then I pray that he lives it. And I pray that one day when he stands before you, you can say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." That is a prayer you can get right out of Colossians. So that's a, that's a, that's a prayer I can pray for myself. That's a prayer that you can pray for others. So hopefully, uh, uh, you've learned some things in Colossians. Next week we're going to have, uh, I've got another speaker coming in next week to, to speak to us. And then we'll start another book the week after that. So, uh, um, we'll go that route. So let me go ahead and pray. Any questions on Colossians? Is that more than Colossians you've ever wanted to know in your life? I mean, it's there. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, but the simplest part is we need to be filled with God's knowledge. We need to walk with it. And we need to focus on the judgment seat of Christ, which I preached a few weeks ago. But that's the same. That's what we need to focus. If we do that, then Christ will be pleased with us because that's what we need to do. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we come before you today. I do thank you for the book of Colossians. Uh, I just pray that not only do we read it, Lord, not only do we understand it, that, Lord, we would live it. And that's that's not always easy to do, Lord. But I just pray you'd give us the grace to do that, the, the desire to do that. And I pray, Lord, that we would be all about uh, pleasing you with what we say and what we do, Lord. So uh, I just ask for the people in this class, Lord, that we would just live our life for you. And we'd be an example for the people around us. And we give your Son, uh, Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, all the glory, all the credit, all the, all the honor that He deserves because, uh, He is everything to us because He is life and, and He is, He is God to the fullest. So we thank you for Him. We just ask a blessing upon the main service the rest of our day in Christ's name. Amen. What that talks about taking away from this book, what about all those, like the NIV and all that, to take all that scripture out of? I would not want to be them. <laughs>